If you know someone who has lost a very important person in their life and you're afraid to mention them because you think you may make them sad by reminding them that they died, you're not reminding them. They didn't forget that they died. What you're reminding them of is that you remember that they lived and that's a great, great gift. Hi, I'm Michelle. A random meeting in the street with my fabulous friendly neighbour Liz resulted in the creation of this podcast. Finding ourselves at the same stage of life, we've got to know each other over cups of tea and maybe something stronger on my sofa. With seven kids and stepkids between us, we've been around the block a bit and are now redefining ourselves in midlife as empty nesters. Join us on the sofa for a chat. There's always room for one more. Welcome to Two Women Chatting. I'm Michelle. And I'm Liz. This week we are going to be talking about a subject that's, well, as, as Liz would normally put it, not so jolly. Mm. And, you know, a little bit like we talked about with um, my dog Maisie, we, we're, today we're talking about bereavement. We're kind of going to lean into it a bit and, and face it head on. It'll come to all of us at some stage, grief from losing an, a parent or a sibling or, oh, God a forbid, friend. a child or a good friend. And we just felt it is one of those taboo subjects, isn't it? Because you feel like if you talk about it, does that manifest it? Does it make it worse? Does it bring it into your house? And it's a weird thing because um, this this fear of talking about death, it never used to be the case. It wasn't really, I was looking into the history of this and it was really World War One is when there was a switch from people openly discussing death and death choices and kinds of death and and going through that dreadful war people really shut down it's too horrific for them the memories are just, yeah just yeah stopped. well there's one lady who tragically lost her partner and really did something about it she really used those forces for good to to try and make a difference and her name is linda magistris so Linda, you may have seen her on QVC. She's one of the hosts on there. Lovely lady, previously in Grange Hill. That's our oh, era. Oh yeah, my God, oh, loved I Grange Hill. Stuck to that TV. Loved Glued it. To loved it. it. And um, she is the CEO and founder of the Good Grief Trust, which brings together nine hundred charities. Yeah, nine hundred wow. charities that look after people who are going through grief and bereavement. Um, there's all kinds of grief, though, isn't there? I mean. There's, there's that sudden, unexpected, no time to get your head around it sort of grief. And there's that sort of long, lingering awfulness of somebody that you know is going through a terminal illness, the loss of a loved one or or the loss of being able to say what you always wanted to say because mm. you've left it too long or too yeah, late. You've been there. Yeah. So I think Linda's a good person to to chat to about this she's she's spoken to hundreds hundreds of people about this and uh, let's invite her on the sofa shall we so linda it's so lovely to have you join us on our podcast sofa thank you so much um you've done incredible things with the grief that you have um i just want to sort of paint a short background of of where it comes from and, and you can correct me if i've got anything wrong of course um, but you lost your partner, Graham, to cancer, quite sudden diagnosis in 2014. Um, and you met on the set of Grange Hill back in the 70s. A yay for Grange Hill, our favourite right there, fans. when you were part of the cast as Susie. And he was a director. And then you met, by chance, on the street about 30 years later. 
you got together and you spent the next eight years together. Um, and he was really your best friend, wasn't he? He was. And thank you so much for inviting me on. It's really kind of you. So, yes, Graham and I met when I was um, a child actress back in the day and Grange Hill when it was just this incredibly iconic program that it is now. It's, it was such a wonderful time in my life. So, yeah, I met Graham. He was um, one of our directors. And, yeah, as you say, weirdly, um, we worked together and then lost touch. I think I reached out to him for a job at one point as an actress um, when he was doing the bill and all these other things. He won a BAFTA and everything. But, yeah, 30 years later, I was out with my daughter and suddenly I heard this voice, Linda, and I thought, oh, my goodness, that's Graham Feakston. And there we go. Um, And I'd come out of a marriage and he'd come out of a long-term relationship and we got together and we were very happy for eight years until... Sadly, uh, he was diagnosed with a soft tissue sarcoma, which was a very rare cancer, and they gave him 18 months to two years to live. But sadly, he died after five and a half months. So it was very quick, very aggressive and and, and mass, a massive shock to everybody, really. So, yeah, it was, it was a really difficult time. And then um, I believe a GP suggested that you go to a local bereavement group, but it was full and you've you were looking to find that support that you really needed. Didn't somebody suggest that you just try and use posh tissues? Yeah, sadly. So I went to my GP and I realise now that, yeah, that the, the health professionals just did not have anything at their fingertips to be able to signpost me to a choice of support. So there was a leaflet for a national charity that offered counselling. I've never even been to counselling in my life. I had to pretend that I lived in a neighbouring borough because there was nothing available in my borough. I had to pretend I lived with a friend. Um, and I went off for this counselling session for four um, four sort of times and, and just cried my way through it. I went back to the GP and I spoke to a female GP and I think she was trying to make light of it. And she said, oh, you need posh tissues, you know, because I'd be crying so much. And I thought, oh, okay. And then there was the offer of medication because I couldn't sleep, which was not any used to me in any way shape or form because I don't even take a paracetamol so I went back to the hospitals where Graham was treated and they said well look I'm really sorry we don't do bereavement support if you'd like to start a group that would be great and I came out of there with this incredible sort of um, misunderstanding and confusion and just anxiety that nobody seemed to understand the sort of gravity of what I was feeling. And I used to sort of stride across Wimbledon Common and scream to the ceiling and to the to the sky and just say, Where are you, Graeme? I just I was completely in this fog and and just I felt very disconnected with the world. I didn't feel as though anyone really understood me. And and I didn't feel as though those health professionals really had anything that they could offer me. And I now know why because there wasn't a central resource. They didn't know what was available locally and nationally. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's why I started the charity, really, because I was, I, I was completely bemused as to why we didn't bring everything together that I then found was available to anyone who's bereaved and also to the health professionals, because I found online, uh, just by Googling, um, I found this incredible charity called Widowed and Young, And it was specifically for anybody under the age of 50 who'd lost their partner. And I went back to the GP and the health professionals and the hospital and I said, look, this is an amazing charity. It was perfect for me. I've met all these amazing people around the country who have lost a partner. Um, Do you not know about it? And they didn't. And that, to be honest, was pretty much my light bulb moment. And I thought, hang on, if the health professionals don't know of a big national charity 
they need to have that information. They need to know what is available for anyone. So that could be cancer, you know, epilepsy, suicide, miscarriage, whatever it was. I realized we needed to keep um, everyone together and, and raise awareness. Mm. And I think what you've done by taking it online is such a smart move because you can keep it up to date. You can keep it in one place. You can have hyperlinks. You can make it really easy to find. And that was the thing, wasn't it? You had to ferret around and and find the thing that was right for you. But what you offer on your website is, oh my gosh, this, this killed me really, but pre-bereavement advice, for example, that's so important to provide the resources to make decisions and and try and encourage those difficult, difficult conversations. Yeah, we are an umbrella charity and that's where I wanted it to go. So very early on, I started volunteering and, and working with different bereavement trusts and hospitals and GPs and speaking to all those people that I connected with through Widows and Young. I was asked onto the BBC because kindly the BBC Breakfast launched the charity for us. And I met so many people who've been in exactly the same position as me. They didn't know where to turn. They'd had completely unique experiences. And I realized then that actually those hospital trusts had bereavement leaflets, they had brochures, um, but it's very difficult to keep a hard copy up to date. So many of those um, website links, the phone numbers, they could easily get out of date. And the worst thing that you can do when you're bereaved is reach out and take that leap of faith and for that website or the telephone number or that person not being able to help you. So I knew, knew that we needed to be able to not only have those bereavement booklets, they're very important to have that local information, but we needed to offer choice. And of course, in a book booklet, in a leaflet, you cannot have hundreds and hundreds of tailored support services um, written down. So yes, we need an online support service and that's what we've got. We've got the goodgrieftrust.org and we launched it only with a few hundred um, charity support services helplines and we've now got over 900 um, on that database and they're growing every day of the week. God, you're, you're quite some dynamo, aren't you? To take your grief and turn it into something so incredible, like, like amazing, amazing. You've encouraged um, wonderful patrons who have come on board with you, haven't you? I know um, Dame Penelope Wilton, Shirley Kemp, and your old buddy, Todd Carty. <laughs> yes, my old my old um, schoolmate, Todd, yes, from Grange Hill. He's on board. And, and, you know, because of my media background, I knew that, you know, we could get so much awareness free. You know, this is a, a charity that's very small with a big heart. And we know that just by connecting people, which was what I realized back then that didn't seem to be done. We were working so well in silos. All those incredible organizations and charities were working for their own cause, but we weren't talking to each other. We weren't connecting the dots across the country. And that seemed to be such a simple thing to do. Um, yes, of course, it took time and effort, but it wasn't very expensive. You know, I got lots of friends on board to find these incredible organizations. And now, yes, lots of friends, supporters, media, you know, broadcasters, they're all supporting what we do because bereavement is everyone's business. You know, bereavement is something that all of us are going to experience at some time. And my mantra is um, grief can be complicated, but access to support should never be. And that is absolutely from day one. We need to know that somebody who is looking for support and help is offered it. 
The minute they leave that hospital, I wanted somebody to know that they were not alone and that the other people could help and support them. You know, when the police knocked on the door with a sudden death, with a suicide or sadly a road traffic accident, whatever it was, I wanted people to know that they were not alone, that other people have been through it. And I knew that peer support was so valuable. And if you find someone else who's been through something similar, you can find hope for a way forward. And that's so, so important in those early days. And that's key, isn't it? That your organization is um, helping the bereaved by the bereaved or uh, providing support. So as you say, people understand what they've gone through. It's the peer support. Yeah. I think really, really, important. You know, Liz and I both lost our fathers at a very young age. And I think, uh, I'm not speaking for you as well, but I mean, we've had conversations Mm. that even for me, it's 44 years later, I'm still triggered. I'm still triggered by milestone events that I just wish my dad could have seen or, you know, grandchildren that he could have known and been proud of. And, you know, 44 years is a, you can't underestimate, I think, how long grief manifests itself and changes, but pops up like in an ugly way every so often when you're least expecting it. Would you agree with that, Liz? Yeah, I, I, I would. I mean, I, I'll be honest, I bottled it up and I still do. I found my father. It, it, I, that's what I find it's still difficult to talk about. It was in 1978, long time ago. And I'll be honest, I've just bottled it up. Well, you there was no one to talk to. I wasn't counseling in those my days. My mother was most, you know, mm. she, she was a young widow, you know, and it it it, it just, yeah. I, I wouldn't say I was ignored, but it was like off back to school. It was the summer holidays and then back to school and then nobody really talked that about it. That was the attitude. I was, I was back in school within a day. Yeah, mine was the holidays. In fact, I, mm. in one reflection, I wish I'd been back at school because there'd been my friends just to carry on normal life but Mm, mm. it's it's strange I don't I hope it's not like that anymore I don't think it Mm. is I mean with organizations Mm. like the Good Grief Trust you know you are you're given pointers as you say you're signposted to where Mm. you can get the kind of help my goodness there's so many different kinds of help that you need if as you said if you've had a miscarriage that's grief Mm. in in you know early early form if you've lost your father or your 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 child or you know as we're in midlife here we're looking at parents who are getting older um those parents who are still around and one of the things that i think i would hope to encourage our listeners as difficult as it is the burden that is left on the people left behind when you haven't had a conversation about okay mom i know this is tricky but how would you like to be honored, talked about, would you like a funeral? You know, my mother has been very active and decided point blank, I don't want a funeral. I want my ashes just scattered. I I don't want everybody. I want you all. All right, here's a sum of money. I want you to go out and have a big dinner and and I don't want fuss. And that's good, but that's, I don't know that that's common. Is it? What would you say, Linda? Is it, is it common that people do that? Not really, no. And that's all part of this movement, actually. And as you've said, when you lost your dad, I lost my dad 22 years ago. So you're you're longer than I am. But, you know, there is no timeline for grief. And that's the whole point. We've got messages out there. We've got posters. We've got images. um, Because we also run the National Grief Awareness Week, which we can talk about as well. So please do look on the the website for for all that sort of um, imaging that actually really helps to... to, um, acknowledge the really simple, simple thoughts of those people who are grieving that we need to raise awareness of. 
Um, but yeah, as far as talking about death and dying, as I've said, I started the charity back in 2016. Graham died in 2014. I have seen a snowballing of interest. And sadly, the only thing that COVID did really was to shine a light on the, um, you know, the real gravity and that incredible, profound um, effect that people who are grieving um, have when they lose someone they love. And it has raised awareness. We are working a lot more in the sector to to raise awareness. There's many more organisations um, that have come together to to work together, thankfully, um, and and you know have that awareness around the impact of grief. So I think it's it it is growing. But yes, we do definitely need to have those really awkward conversations. And if we can have them over dinner, have them over lunch, and when you're watching tech TV, it's a lot easier than when someone actually maybe has a terminal illness um, or they're very close to dying and, you know, that their end of their life. And that's really difficult to have those really awkward conversations then. So, yes, definitely have a look on our website. As you've said, we've got pre-bereavement advice. We've got, um, you know, advice around even things like keeping voicemails and, and messages and and videos and all those things and photographs and and just those precious things that maybe you lose when somebody um, sadly dies unexpectedly and and suddenly and you're left you're not left with that sort of um, real um, bank of fantastic uh, memories that you really need to keep. So there's a lot of things that we can think about around grief to support people pre bereavement as well as if it, sadly if it happens. Um, unexpectedly. On your website, there was a, a YouTube video that Greg Wise did. He's one of your um, he's one of your ambassadors, isn't he? And I was very interested by the concept of is it a good death? He speaks about you know an eighty year old. Um, somebody says, "Oh, my father's recently died," and he said, "Well, was it a good death?" And and the man looks aghast and said, "What do you mean by a good death?" Well. Well, what was he doing? And he said, well, he was 80 years old. He's always loved flying and he crashed his plane. So Greg says, that's a good death then, isn't it? <laughs> because he, he died. I, I know people have died doing, on the yeah. golf course or, you or know. Died things. having sex, I suppose. It's a good grief. Yeah, <laughs> good yeah, exactly. Um, like, yeah, that would be a good death, I suppose. Depends how old you are. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it does. It does. Exactly. No, Greg's brilliant. And, and he says, you know, we're all in childish denial about, you know, it's going to happen to us. So we might as well start talking about it openly and honestly. And it is difficult. It's even difficult for the health professionals as well to have the right language. And we talk a lot about kind language, which is, again, one of our ambassadors, um, a, a wonderful nurse called Jaws Lewis, here, who is trying to encourage us all to have kind language um, at end of life, as well as throughout our life as well, to try and, you know, just have that compassion with others and reach out. And again, please look on the website because we've got a lot of advice and information and guidance for friends and family because often we don't know how to support our friends and family. You know, we can walk across the road and avoid them. We don't pick up the phone. You know, we, we feel very, very uh, nervous and anxious about how to support people. And often we choose not to because we think we're going to put our foot in it. But actually, that's the worst thing you can do, you know, just to pick up the phone and say, listen, I'm so, so sorry. I don't have the words. I don't know what to say, but I am here for you when you need me. 
and just turn up with a cake or turn up with a lasagna or take the children out or take the dog out and just be proactive. And and as you said, Michelle, you know, there is no timeline for grief. So 40 years down the line, you can still be impacted. You can still have really painful triggers. You can be out in the in in the shops, you know, you're going down Tesco's in the aisle where you see your dad's favorite cheese and and that can absolutely take, you know, your breath away. We have to acknowledge all those things along the way can absolutely floor you. Um, you know, when you're at work and, and somebody's you know had a bereavement, now we're working very closely with with employers to try and put bereavement policies into into organisations so that we can be much more flexible and understanding with the work um, you know work colleagues and across the network to to try and help us all just be more natural and and you know there can't be anything more natural than than dying um so you know we've got to really get to grips with that and just trying to be um normalize grief really because i think we've medicalized a lot of it it's been taken away from us mm. I, th- I think that's it and i think that people need to remember that 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 you, you need people after the funeral or after the cremation it, it's not just then i think sort of 6 months later is probably the time when when you may need most support um, from the, from my my sister in law, for example, I know she'll be listening. You know, she needs the support now. It was, you know, it, it, it's not. It was then. Obviously, everyone's was there for her, and same with my mother. And then everyone just sort of maybe, maybe tails off a bit. I think. I think we must remember, as you said, it's a timeline. I think, especially with women as well, who are, are left behind if if husband dies or partner dies, there can be that awkward kind of, oh, well, do we invite them and they're a single. <sighs> Or do they make up numbers? Or are they going to be after my husband? Yeah, you know, is that awful mm. to say? It's probably awful no, to say. No, my mother said that. She wasn't invited to things because she was seen as a threat. She, she admits that. She said, you know, it yeah. was, was shocking. And that is an absolute lack of kindness and understanding that you're, you're right, Liz, that, you know, a month later, two months later, the first Christmas, the first birthday, mm. all of those things that follow on, even if it's just a, a WhatsApp message, I'm thinking of you today. Or, you know, just sending some flowers. I know today might be difficult for you. So just if you want to go out for coffee, that's fine. If you don't want to go out for coffee, that's fine. Uh, And, you know, we all come to terms with grief in our own way. And that might be pushing people away for a while until we need them. But, you know, sometimes that pushing away because that's maybe the way you've handled it. People stay away. Mm. And, and and you have to be brave and and use the word and and get in there and and be the friend that you should be. Yeah, exactly. And grief changes on an hourly basis, let alone a weekly or a monthly basis. You know, in the morning you could exactly what you just said, Michelle. Put some push someone away, and you may be angry. You know, you may actually just say, "No, I'm sorry, I can't talk to you." And sadly, that friend might then take that as something like, oh, I need to leave them alone. But actually try again. Try again in the afternoon. Try again the following day. Because, you know, we change so quickly through grief. You know, one minute you're feeling as though you need to talk to someone, you need to offload. The next minute you need to be under the duvet with a cup of tea and you can't even talk to anybody. And and let me just say something. This is um, a quote that's been shared, oh my goodness, hundreds of thousands of times across all our social media platforms. And please do look on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, because we have a vast reach because we are run by the brief or the bereaved. And we, we absolutely attract people who just want to share and connect with each other and support each other. And it's such a lovely community. And this is a quote, and it says, 
If you know someone who has lost a very important person in their life and you're afraid to mention them because you think you may make them sad by reminding them that they died, you're not reminding them. They didn't forget that they died. What you're reminding them of is that you remember that they lived and that's a great, great gift. And that is something that please, please try and remember as a friend or a family member or someone, a work colleague. Please just say the name of that person. You know, often the people who have died, you know, are, are sort of lost. And the further along your grief, the further away they get. And often it's even more painful. You know, the first year anniversary, the second year anniversary, because their memory seems to fade. And we need, um, you know, their name mentioned. Share those memories, share those stories of that person. You know, maybe if you happen to find a photograph, share it with that person because that would be absolutely wonderful because um, often, you know, friends and family have got things in their drawers and on their phones and, and we haven't even seen them as the person who's grieving. So that is such a wonderful thing to know that that person is being remembered. Um, and that, you know, often oh, on Strictly, for example, you know, recently, um, there've been wonderful sort of memories shared and, and really heartfelt thoughts. And, and, and that's a really wonderful platform because that's a national platform where people can actually understand that, you know, it is a really wonderful thing to be able to share and acknowledge that person lived, um, because they are important in our life and they, they, we carry them all the time in our hearts. We carry them with us. That's great advice. Yeah. Linda, uh, you mentioned your social media and your website. Would you just tell our listeners where they can find you? Yes, please look on our website, which is thegoodgrieftrust.org, um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and we've got a YouTube channel with hundreds of videos and films from the bereaved talking about their own personal experience as well as from the health professionals with really valuable advice and guidance on how to support someone, on how to normalise grief, on what to expect when when you're grieving. So yes, please do look at those channels. And we know that grief is so unique. Um, you know, you could need a yoga session. You could need to go to a concert and just listen to music. You might need to just go for a swim or go and have some exercise or go and look at the ocean. Whatever is right for you is right for you. You know, it's your grief and, and it's completely unique to you. So whatever you're feeling is, is absolutely fine. And as we know, it's okay not to be okay. That's amazing. Mm. Thank you so much, Linda. Gosh, I found that quite quite emotional, I'll be honest. I could see. I could see when you were talking about your dad, I could just see, even after all these years, what, I mean, I get it too, massive lump in my throat. Yeah, but we can't change it, I know. And it's not a one-size-fits-all, is it? It, Grief is different for everybody, as Linda said. And it's the timeline. It makes you realise, and, and I think that was something that was really, really important to me. It was, I mean, you probably never do stop grieving. No, it just becomes a part of you. Yeah. You, yeah. you, you know, you, sometimes it's bigger, sometimes it's smaller, but it's still part of your soul. It's still part of what makes you the person that you are. Yeah. And, I think and hopefully a-, a bit of compassion as well, you know. I do wish sometimes that I'd had counselling when I was 10 years old. It wasn't a thing. It wasn't a thing. It wasn't a thing. But I I even wonder now whether talking about it to a professional would help. Seems silly, doesn't it, 44 years later? But I don't know. Maybe it's not silly. Well, I was watching a programme about this. I'm trying to – and it did say that that, that children who lose lose a parent – should actually talk about it if you haven't we, you know a long time ago that is when we didn't and i can't remember what program it was and i did think about it but i'm thinking is that opening up a whole can of worms that i really don't uh, want yeah, to know and yeah you know is it 
you know, I'm happy. Yeah, no, I'd be interested in hearing from some of our listeners on this, how they've coped or whether they've tried therapy or, or you know, or if they've felt kind of abandoned by their friends, friends who probably don't mean for it to seem like abandoning. They think they're being careful. They think they're being sensitive uh, and they're backing off. But Linda's absolutely right. Back off, yeah, but then come right back Keep in. going back, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I that's so important. I'm going to be honest, I, I'm probably the guilty of that because I do worry how people might feel and then and I, I, I'm not, I, I, you know, gosh, I'm talking about this on air, you know. I'm not the best at dealing with things like that. This I'm, is I, good, though, that yeah. you're actually talking about it. Um, I've always wanted to be there for people, but I I, I just, I don't know but what I should say. you've pushed down your feelings yeah, for yourself. You haven't it. really examined yeah. those. Mm. Yeah, I think that's true of many of us. I feel tired now. I feel emotionally drained, actually, after that. But um, that was Linda Magistris, and she's the CEO and founder of the Good Grief Trust, which is a remarkable organisation. I would think that lots of people who work in hospital environments must be really grateful to just say, try the Good Grief Trust. Well, well, it's all is, in one there. This is what I was going to, I, I, I was going to say, it's, you know, GPs, doctors are so busy. They only have a set number of minutes to talk to a patient. Isn't it great that they can, you know, impart this information, say, go and go and visit this site. It's all there for you. So it's Grief Awareness Week this week, but any week, any day, anytime you need to find a bit of support, do go and look up the Good Grief Trust because uh, they have an, a remarkable number of resources there. Absolutely incredible. Mm. So thanks to Linda and we'll see you next week. We will. Bye. Thanks for listening to Two Women Chatting with our special guests. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you left a rating and review. Even better, share with your friends. And please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. There's a link on our Instagram bio and Facebook pages. 